0: friends, and welcome to the Dance Edit podcast. I'm Margaret Fuhrer. And I'm Amy Brandt. We are editors at Dance Media, and in today's episode, we will discuss an essay that asks whether dance is an adequate response to a social movement as huge and profound as Black Lives Matter. We will talk about the future of screen dance, which so many artists and companies invested in during the pandemic, but which is at sort of a pivotal moment now that live performances are beginning in earnest again. And because it's the Olympics, we will get into, first of all, why it can be frustrating for dance folks to watch figure skating, and then talk about the skaters who have transcended that frustration with their dance artistry. Really excited to get into that with you, Amy. Me too. First, though, um, just a reminder that there is a great new episode of the Dance Edit Extra, our premium audio interview series, out now on Apple Podcasts. It came out on Saturday, and it features the brilliant Alicia Grafback talking about how she's bringing all of her diverse experiences in the professional dance world and well beyond the professional dance world into her role as director of the dance division at Juilliard. She's so smart so thoughtful, and her talents span so many disciplines. It was it was really fascinating to hear her perspective on the challenges that dance and higher ed is facing right now and how she's meeting them. So please check out her episode. You can find it by searching for the Dance Edit Extra on Apple Podcasts. And we also have the direct link for you in the show notes. Okay, now it's time for a jam-packed dance headline rundown. Here we go.
1: Okay, the Oscar nominations were announced yesterday and they include a familiar face. Ariana DeBose was nominated for Best Supporting Actress for her amazing performance as Anita in West Side Story. Hooray! (laughs) We are super excited to see a dancer recognized. Um, She's the only cast member from the film who's who's being nominated for any of the acting awards, although West Side Story has been nominated for a bunch of other awards, including Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Cinematography. So congratulations, Ariana. I really hope she wins. It's the best news. I mean, she's
0: already made history because she and Rita Moreno are the first actors of color and the first women to be nominated for playing the same character. Mm-hmm. And then if Ariana wins, they'll be only the third pair of actors to both win for the same part. The other two being Marlon Brando and Robert De Niro for um, their work as Vito Corleone in The Godfather and The Godfather Part Two. And then Heath Ledger and Joaquin Phoenix both won for playing the Joker. Wow. But yeah, I hope she joins that list. Mm-hmm. Uh, Big news coming out of the competition world. Gil Stroming, the founder of the dance entertainment company Break the Floor, is stepping down as CEO. And the announcement comes following widespread allegations of sexual misconduct against some of the company's well-known instructors. Head to the show notes for
1: links with further information on that story. The Prix de Lausanne wrapped up last weekend with seven young dancers winning scholarships. There was also a bit of controversy on social media this year over the Prix's all-white jury. Some people commented on their Instagram page, to which the competition responded with something along the lines of, unfortunately, there's just not a lot of variety in ballet, which did not go over well Uh. at all. (laughs) Um, That comment has since been deleted, and the Prix released a statement of apology on their Instagram page. On Monday. Yeah, there was a
0: lot of frustration and anger about that on social media, understandably. Um, mm-hmm. We have more links with more information in the show notes, too. The UK's Northern Ballet has named Federico Benelli, the Royal Ballet Principal, its new artistic director. So there are two transitions in one there, with Benelli leaving the Royal Ballet to take on this directorship. And Benelli is replacing David Nixon, who led Northern Ballet for
1: 21 years. Former American ballet theater star Paloma Herrera has announced that she is leaving Argentina's esteemed Teatro Colón, where she has been artistic director of its ballet company since 2017. She told La Nacion that the company's structure is unsustainable. Um, And just a little background, uh, pointed a story on this in 2017 when she first joined. Um, It seems that the company has a lot of union protocols and protections, um, at the, at, in 2017, at least, I know the retirement age for dancers was 65, and there were a lot of restrictions on casting and whatnot, so it does create kind of some limitations as far as, you know, I know that's something that she had wanted to change, um, since younger dancers often aren't getting opportunities from promotions or roles, and a lot of them leave. I think she's quoted in Spanish, but English translation, it, she says, it has a body of 100 dancers, but only 50 dance. No word on where she's going or what she'll do next, but
0: oh, some complicated politics at play there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's yet more dance world leadership news this week. Gibney has announced that it is expanding its leadership with three new appointments inside the organization. So the whole of Gibney is still led by Gina Gibney, but Nigel Campbell will become the first Gibney Center artistic director. Amy Miller will be the organization's first director of engagement. And Gilbert T. Small II has been promoted to director of Gibney Company. So Gibney continues its ongoing process of evolution that's been happening for a few years now.
1: The Jacobs Pillow Dance Festival announced its 2022 season. This year marks the festival's 90th anniversary and also celebrates its return to the Ted Shawn Theatre, which is now the only indoor theatre on the premises after a fire destroyed the Doris Duke Theatre two years ago. The season boasts performances by Kyle Abraham's AIM, Ronald K. Brown's Evidence, Limon Dance Company, Body Traffic, New York City Ballet Principals Taylor Stanley and Sarah Mearns, Dormisha, and so many more. It sounds like a very exciting season ahead.
0: Yeah, a lot to look forward to. I'm so glad they'll be back in the Sean this year. Mm-hmm. The musical adaptation of the NBC show, Smash, is one step closer to Broadway with a workshop planned for this summer. It's aiming for a Broadway opening in 2024, and choreographer Josh Burgasse, who also worked on the TV production, is on board for the project. So, you know, start your dream casting now. I'm very curious to see what this will actually look like. Yeah.
1: A dance instructor in North Korea, along with several of her teenage students, has been arrested for teaching her class, quote, capitalist dance moves from foreign media. According to Radio Free Asia, authorities raided her studio and found a USB flash drive with foreign music and dance videos, which are often smuggled into North Korea and sold on the black market. She and the dancers are accused of violating the Elimination of Reactionary Thought and Culture Act, which punishes people for watching media from capitalist countries like South Korea and the U.S. The maximum penalty is death. So pretty scary situation. Uh, We have a link with more information about that in the show notes, too.
0: We are on a roller coaster ride in this headline rundown, as we often are. So, back to happy news Nashville ballet dancers will now wear tights and shoes that match their skin tones rather than defaulting to ballet pink. That's a transition that acknowledges that the tradition of pink tights and shoes is rooted in Eurocentric beauty standards. So, it's a,
1: a small change, but it's a meaningful one. Yeah. And the dance world has lost three luminaries in recent weeks. Uh, Donald Mahler, who danced and choreographed for and eventually directed the Metropolitan Opera Ballet, and who helped stage ballets by Anthony Tudor, has died at age eighty eight. actually worked with Donald Mahler at Milwaukee Ballet years ago mm-hmm. for an all Tudor program, so I was very sad to hear this news. Uh, Marshall Roumain, choreographer, dancer, educator, actor, and executor of the works of choreographers Elio Pomar and Joan Miller, recently passed away. And Joan Bailey, a bouncing dancer and associate choreographer during MGM's golden era, passed away on January 5th this year, just a few months shy of her 102nd birthday.
0: In the Dance Magazine obituary, there are some just fantastic photos of mm-hmm. her working on the set of White Christmas. I mean, yeah. what a legacy all of these all of these artists had. So in our first longer discussion segment today, we'd like to talk about a piece that ran in Dance Magazine's February issue and just went up online. It's an essay by the multifaceted dance artist David Roussev, and it discusses whether dance can meaningfully address a movement as enormous as Black Lives Matter, about whether in the face of something that urgent and that overwhelming dance is enough. And that's not a new question. It's really the perennial question about dance and social justice and how and where they can and should meet. Um, But Rousseff has dedicated a lot of his career to exploring that intersection. And in his essay, he interrogates his own artistic responses to this current political moment, like why making dance began to feel inadequate, and why he nevertheless kept making dance.
1: As I was reading this essay, that was one thing that really struck me is as a dance creator, as someone who's creating work, like how heavy that must feel to create a work about something as important as black lives matter and, and something that is probably quite personal to him. And how do you do it justice, you know, Mm -hmm. where it can provoke thought and change and, you know, doesn't just speak to an, an echo chamber or lean heavily onto sentimentality. I mean, I can imagine that would be a lot to carry with you as you're trying to shape this piece. Mm -hmm. And I thought the essay was really interesting in how it was structured. It kind of starts in 2016 with this piece that he uh, created called Enough that asks that very question, can dance meaningfully address these movements like Black Lives Matter? And then he kind of goes back in time to 1991 during the AIDS crisis when he was creating another work, but then also participated in a large protest at Grand Central Terminal. And he kind of, you know, it's like we were getting attention from the people, but we weren't receiving the the movement he was fighting for. It wasn't receiving the empathy that it deserved. And so Mm -hmm. he started looking for ways to achieve that in his work, you know, and then in 2022 or 2020, looking back on it, you know, he wasn't sure if it still was enough.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like that he sort of explained how the purpose of his political art making has always been to create bridges of empathy, as he said, Mm -hmm. to to let the disenfranchised tell their stories and allow viewers to see themselves and people who might have different experiences than they do, which dance is especially good at doing Mm -hmm. that because it's abstract, it's metaphorical, so it can speak deeply to any viewer, no matter where they're coming from. I mean, the universal power of dance, something we talk about a lot. And it's not that the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement made any of that untrue. It's that, as he says, the sheer scale of the despair and the anger of Mm -hmm. that movement, the force of it, made art for empathy's sake feel less adequate. So yeah, so his response was to then explore those feelings to, in that piece called Enough, to question the adequacy of his own response, and then in doing so, push the audience to question their own responses to this movement and whether they've been adequate. So he explains it as instead of trying to create empathy for individuals, he was trying to create empathy for a political movement to Mm -hmm. push people to action because they care not about a person or a group of people, but because they care about humanity more broadly. Mm -hmm. You know, I like that he didn't draw any hard conclusions at the end of this piece, um, because whether dance or like any type of art is a sufficient response to a huge sociopolitical movement that demands meaningful action that's always going to be a a question
1: Mm -hmm. he also said something towards the end where he's like that's for the audience to decide you know but for himself Mm -hmm. as the artist he knows this is what he knows how to do best and from the heart and it's a great essay yeah
0: yeah i hope you all have time to read it don't rely on our paraphrasing of it it is of course linked in the show notes Alrighty, next up, we have another excellent dance magazine story. It's a feature looking at what might become of screen dance, of dance on film, now that live performances have returned in earnest. Um, And we've talked a whole lot about screen dance over the course of the pandemic, because for a while, it was the only type of dance that was really happening. But it's important to note just how big a shift that was, like pre pandemic dance for the camera was really a, a marginalized form, it wasn't getting a whole lot of money or attention or resources. So COVID led to this screen dance boom, which in turn has led to new tools and innovations and creative discoveries and some new sources of funding. So now what, like, is this approach to screen dance sustainable in the long term? And, and
1: how are artists and
0: audiences feeling about it at this point?
1: I've been thinking about this a lot since so many companies really in, in invested in, in online performance and kind of transitioning to these digital platforms. Mm-hmm. Like, I think a lot of companies want to focus on live performance again, but they know that having this option is important, um, especially with just mm-hmm. sort of the big question marks surrounding COVID and what the future is going to look like. But I also think, you know, it brought in different audiences. Um, it provided a bit of security in a very insecure age. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just wondering if they will, you know, how much attention they will, they will keep giving it an investment now that theaters are opening up again. And, you know, it's expensive. It involves technology. It involves getting funders and, and on board and educating them as this article clearly points out you know one filmmaker was applying for a grant and the response was what is screen dance i had to google it you know jeez <laughs> but um one thing that she talked about that i found interesting was how screen dance is finding momentum in like educational circles in mm. you know in studios and young people university programs performing arts high schools that this is kind of being added on as part of the learning process as well as learning just choreography for for concert, mm-hmm. um and when you add that with these p- social media platforms like TikTok and Instagram, already giving young dancers a platform to create, I'm wondering if this is something that will really build, kind of from the next generation on up, as yeah. opposed to like the current generation down. You know, that was the part of the article that that really stood out to me too was the fact
0: that more and more young dancers are interested in screen dance, particularly as it exists on social media on TikTok and Instagram, mm-hmm. because filmed dance is going to be a native language for so many of these dancers in a way that just wasn't for previous generations. So yeah, what does that mean for the future of screen dance? It seems like it bodes well. Mm -hmm. I mean, it definitely seems like now that many more dancers have experimented with dance on film, there's greater respect for and understanding of screen dance and the incredible amount of work Mm -hmm. and resources that it requires. Um, so I think the fact that it's beginning to be recognized as its own genre, a specific type of art making, as opposed to like, well, if we can't dance in a theater, maybe we'll dance on camera. Like that's a good sign that people are making that distinction. Um, yeah, I feel like the real question is, does that mean there's going to be a longer-term funding structure to support yeah. that type of work? That's sort of the key to everything, mm-hmm. as it so often is, is resources. Yeah. Anyway, there's a ton to be said about this topic, and much of it is said in. Kara Hagan's great piece for Dance Magazine, which
1: we have linked for you in the show notes. Yeah, it really goes into depth. Yeah, yeah. Like it's a very in-depth article. Like she talks to a lot of different people. It's definitely worth a read.
0: All right. Finally today, we've got to talk for a few minutes about figure skating, which is having its big Olympic moment right now. Um, Obviously, figure skating is a very dance-oriented sport. So it's unsurprising that a lot of us dance people are following these Olympians pretty closely. But as skating's technical elements have become more and more difficult, its artistic side has sometimes felt like an afterthought, which can be frustrating to us dance folks. We don't care as much about the quads. We want quality. Mm -hmm. Um, But when truly great skaters manage to balance high-level technique and high-level artistry, that can be so thrilling. And... Laura Capel wrote a great piece for Dance Magazine about the dance artistry of one skater in particular, Jason Brown. And actually, I'm just realizing all three of our discussion topics this week came out of Dance Magazine. Yay, Dance Magazine.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love Jason Brown. Can I just say that? Yep. yep. First and foremost, I stayed up very late the other night just to catch his his performance, which was last in the short program. Um, But I didn't want to miss it. (laughs) And um, it was you know and it certainly delivered so it was all worth it all worth the late night but um <laughs> it does make me sad that you know the artistic element of the sport is considered quote lesser than i guess to the in the scoring system mm-hmm. and and i'm wondering if it's just that it's just the technical aspect is more easily scored in an objective way i don't mm-hmm. but it kind of reminds me of just you know dance competitions where you know what is more important is it more important to see a kid do a quadruple pirouette not Mm -hmm. on the music or a beautiful double or triple pirouette that lands on the music. Like to me, I'd prefer to see them land on the music, but
0: I said a clean double. Yes. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Yeah. No, what is the what is the ultimate aim of this performance? What are you trying to accomplish? Mm -hmm. You know, well, first of all, I wanted to call out for a second, some of the choreographers of these figure skating performances, Mm -hmm. like Jason Brown, the choreographer of his short program, Rohan Award, has a strong dance background and is so good at like weaving in the big jumps in a way that feels effortless and musical and of a piece with everything else happening. Um, I think Nathan Chen's choreographer, Mm -hmm. or one of them, Shailen Bourne, I think she's also really good at that. And fun fact... Shaylin is also working with Chen's arch rival, Yuzuru Hanyu. So, like, that's some really good special sauce there. That actually might be making a difference with yeah. these top level skaters that have high yeah. level
1: choreographers. And we should also mention that Nathan Chen has a ballet, a very serious ballet background yep. as well. Yeah. Like, he grew up at the Ballet West. I know he was at Fritz or something in Ballet West's Nutcracker years and years <laughs> ago. So, um, you know, he certainly, while he is such a technician, he also has uh, some serious dance
0: chops, too. And you can see it. Yeah, for sure. History
1: chops. For sure. Yeah.
0: You know, watching these performances, I've been thinking a lot about um, John Curry. Do you remember John Curry? I don't know. He was a figure skating Olympian, but he really brought dance and especially ballet influences into figure skating. Like, he actually had an ice dancing company in the early 80s that did pieces by Twyla Tharp and Kenneth McMillan. He was commissioning these ice pieces from them. Yeah. There's some great clips of that on YouTube, if you do a little Margaret, digging. I did not know any of this. Oh, go Google. It's it's such a great rabbit hole to go down. Um yeah. But so he sort of posed the question, like, what if figure skating had never been a sport? What if it had evolved into a performance art instead of into a competitive thing? Mm. What aspects of it would we value? And like thinking about what figure skating brings to the table that's unique to skating, like, moving in a frictionless environment and what you can do with that and how mm-hmm. the speed and the fluidity that that allows, what you can create using mm-hmm. that. Um, I think actually Elijah Balde is doing something along those same lines today, like bringing in not balletic influences, but hip hop influences, a whole different way mm-hmm. of thinking about dancing on the ice.
1: Well, yeah. And then that makes me wonder, like, I've never been to like the ice capades or anything like that. But I mean, do these athletes have a future after after their competitive years are done that is in just the pure artistic element of skating to be you know skating Mm -hmm. as a performance art exhibition skating which is its own thing i guess
0: yeah you know it's it's funny too because while i i love the idea of exploring figure skating as per performance i also think there is something transcendent that happens when you get that rare competitor like a jason brown like a nathan chen Mm -hmm. like a going back further sasha cohen or michelle kwan i'm realizing we're all talking about all men today mm-hmm. which is not good but that is performance on a different level and figure yeah. skating probably wouldn't have reached the technical heights it's at today without the competitive system driving it in that direction so yeah, yeah. that is true man we could talk about this for hours i know. <laughs> probably have to stop but i hope you can read laura's ode to to jason in particular which is beautiful and is of course linked for you in the show notes with plenty of videos with plenty of videos yes blessedly (laughs) (laughs) all right that's it for us this week thanks everyone for joining us we'll be back next week for more discussion of the news that's moving the dance world keep learning keep advocating and keep dancing bye everybody The Dance Edit podcast is a product of Dance Media, publisher of Dance Magazine, Dance Spirit, Point, Dance Teacher, Dance Business Weekly, and the Dance Edit newsletter. Our hosts are Amy Brandt, Courtney Escoyne, Margaret Fuhrer, and Lydia Murray. Our music is by Celestine, with special thanks to Broadway Dance Center for helping us record those footfall sounds. Find out more about the Dance Edit and subscribe to our daily newsletter at thedanceedit.com.